Our passage this morning is found in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're taking this kind of series in the book of Matthew by looking at sort of every chapter. We're not going every verse, but we are looking at every chapter. And last week, uh, we talked about chapter 13, which was the kingdom parables. And we looked at two of the parables that Jesus gave to us. And those parables reminded us of what the kingdom of God is like. And it's important for us to remember this, that Jesus' kingdom is different than our earthly kingdom. Oftentimes we sort of associate our our world political uh, current events with the kingdom of God, but it's very different. And it's easy for us to sometimes align ourselves with a particular political party thinking that's what the kingdom of God is like. And, And Jesus is reminding us, no, his kingdom culture is different than the world's culture. Back in the first century, we had the Roman culture, and and, and that was very different. But it was not just the Roman culture Jesus was speaking against. He was also speaking against the Jewish culture, the hypocrisy that sort of had uh, seeped into sort of the, the purity of faith in the Old Testament. And so wherever Jesus is, is sort of walking, he's always walking to tear down the idols and the existing structure to remind us that there's a greater culture, a greater perspective. In this story, we're going to be looking at actually two stories. One is the feeding of the 5,000. By the way, this is the only a miracle other than the resurrection that is repeated in all four of the Gospels. And there's something very significant about the feeding of the 5,000. Because in this lesson, Jesus is going to remind us one of the kingdom values that we are to have. And right after that feeding of the 5,000 is another story that many of you are familiar with. Uh, If you've ever grown up in church, you know the story of Jesus actually walking on the water. But it's not only Jesus walking on the water. Actually, one of his disciples, Peter, also walks on the water. And we're going to look at those two stories to remind us of two kingdom values. The, the value of compassion and the other value of courage. But let me begin this morning by uh, reminding you of a possibly a bedtime story that you heard when you were a little kid. Uh, when uh, our daughters were little, sometimes we would read them a bedtime story. And one of their favorite stories growing up, or one of the stories that we like to read to them, was Winnie the Pooh. Now, if you've ever read Winnie the Pooh, I think every child sort of grows up with Winnie the Pooh. Uh, In one particular story, Winnie the Pooh uh, was walking along the river, and as he's walking along the river, he sees Eeyore, his stuffed donkey friend, suddenly floating downstream on the back of all things, troubled and possibly about to drown. And Pooh calmly asks if Eeyore had fallen in. And they're very polite uh, stuffed toys. And trying to uh, appear complete in control, the donkey answers, silly of me, wasn't it? And Pooh overlooks his friend's pleading eyes and remarks that uh, Eeyore should be more careful next time. Uh, In greater need than ever, uh, Eeyore politely thanks him for the advice, but more action needs to be taken. Almost with a yawn, Pooh Bear notices and says to uh, Eeyore, I think you're sinking. With that, uh, Eeyore's eyes looks up and says, uh, he asked Pooh politely if he would rescue him. So Pooh uh, Poo, uh, takes him out of the river, and Eeyore apologizes for being such a bother. And Pooh is still unconcerned, and yet so courteous, and he says, oh, don't be silly. You should have said something sooner. Now, in this particular story is, is an interesting dialogue between two friends. 
One sees the other in need, and, and instead of going out and helping that friend in need, just has a conversation. And, and this image is sort of the image that I see a lot of Christians have with the world around us. That we're courteous, but we're not compassionate. And there's a difference between those two, isn't it? That we are sort of courteous to those who are hurting, and yet compassion in the Bible is very different than just being nice to people. That what God calls us to do is, is to be is to be compassionate. And the thing about compassion in the Bible, it was not just the way in which we felt. It's also the how we acted. In other words, in this particular story, we are going to see Jesus uh, sort of not like Pooh Bear, just asking, okay, what should we do? Jesus is taking the proactive step of meeting a particular need that the people had. Now, as we look at the story, many of you heard this story read many times, but imagine if you were sitting uh, in this first century and, and you had heard about this uh, prophet teacher who was traveling around Galilee and, and he is the guy, kind of guy that you want to sort of stand in line for. Imagine if you're at, at a rock concert or, or at uh, you know, a, a famous ride and it's the grand opening of that ride and you're standing there for a few hours and, and people are standing around. And Jesus, sort of like, uh, if you were to imagine, like a famous like a rock star or somebody who, he sort of walks in and everybody is in awe. But notice the interesting thing about Jesus. See, a, a rock star is in awe because they want the accolades, they want the praise of people. But notice Jesus' response in verse 13. When Jesus heard that what had happened, uh, he withdrew by the boat privately into a solitary place, hearing the crowds following him on foot in towns. And notice what happens in verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, notice his response. When he saw all these people, he wasn't impressed with the size. He wasn't impressed of what they would do, the applause. But instead, Jesus was compassionate on them. And he healed their sick. The interesting response of Jesus is that when he saw this multitude, his heart broke for these people. And there are two reasons why his heart broke. I believe one, of course, is spiritual. He saw their spiritual need of wanting uh, more than just, they, they wanted some truth. And that's why Jesus was there, to teach them what truth was. But the second thing that he, we see in this passage is the reason he was also compassionate was because there was something physical that was lacking. And we see this later on in, in, in verse 15. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. And, and the disciples said, send the crowds away so that they can go to the village and buy something to eat. Now, uh, these people had followed Jesus into this remote place. And, and uh, we know that the number was more than 5,000 because it says 5,000 men. In other words, there, there were women, there were children. Who knows, the number could have even been double or triple that number. And so there was no way that these people are all going to go out. There was no convention center. There was no food court where people were going to eat. And Jesus replied this in verse 16. When Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, it is interesting, isn't this, in this passage that Jesus' response was that they were to do something. 
Now think about this. The disciples sitting there, they're, what do we do? We don't have enough food for even ourselves. And yet the compassion of God cares not only for the spiritual well-being of people, he also cares for the physical well-being of people. And that's something that, that we sometimes miss. And I think uh, Dr. Stephanie Chen in her uh, little uh, video that you saw reminded us that in, in the idea of justice and compassion in the Bible, we're not just one in which we were looking for, for spiritual salvation for people, but there were also physical wholeness. The whole idea of shalom in the Old Testament was not only spiritual well-being before God, but the whole idea of shalom was also the complete well-being of people. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. And here, Jesus' response was, go get them something to eat. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a, sort of an interesting parallel between Jesus and Moses. And here in this particular story, I think the author is reminding us that Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, here in this particular, there's some parallels to the Old Testament. Uh, according to some of the commentaries, the parallel is that Moses led his people into the wilderness. And here, Jesus leads them uh, to a solitary place. And so we see this so idea of Jesus bringing people into a new place. The second interesting thing is Moses teaches people who are lost. And here Jesus is teaching people who are lost. And the third thing interesting in the Old Testament is that Moses feeds the people with manna and quail. And it's sort of the supernatural provision of God. And here in this story, we're going to see that Jesus feeds people with bread and fish. But this is the difference between Moses and Jesus. In the Old Testament, Moses gives them just enough. And what happened at the end of the night? The, the quail and the, and the manna would, would all either disappear or get rotten. And so they would have to wait for the next day. But in this story that's unique is that not only Jesus gives them enough, he gives them more than enough. And at the end of the story, we see that Jesus' compassion is so great that not only does he feed all the people that are there, there's plenty left over. What a great way to think about God's compassion. That God's compassion is infinite and there's always something left over. And that's the way I think we have to view our compassion. Not just enough, but to go above and exceeding the, the compassion that God gives to us. And so here in this story, uh, uh, verse 17, he says, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. By the way, in the Gospel of John, we find out where these five loaves and two fish come from. They come from a little boy. And so Jesus takes the faith of that, uh, that little boy out of all these people are the only ones who are prepared. And Jesus asks the disciples to go to that little boy, take that five loaves and two fish, and he begins to do something miraculous. He begins to multiply it. And he says in verse um, 18, bring them to, uh, near to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave them thanks and broke the bread. And, and it, in some ways, this is a precursor to communion, isn't it? He, Jesus is now breaking the bread. And then he gave the disciples, and the disciples gave to them to all the people, and they all ate. And now, notice this. I, I love this phrase here. They all ate and are satisfied. The only thing that, that, that we see here is that Jesus doesn't leave people hungry. 
for more. Instead, he satisfies their very physical needs here. And then it says, interesting, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over, and the number of those who ate were 5,000 besides men and children. Now, somebody asked, well, why are there 12 loaves? And the answer to that is that they represented all the 12 disciples to remind them that Jesus' compassion is complete. And I think the, the first thing that I think we are reminded of is that as part of kingdom people, as part of this new culture that we are to live, that our values are marked by compassion. Now, when Jesus sees uh, th- uh, these people, his, his immediately, end, and we see this throughout the Gospel of Matthew, is that Jesus is compassionate. Now, the word compassionate is something that is used in this New Testament, and it has the idea, not just the feeling, and that's the way we oftentimes, uh, is, is to feel sorry for somebody. That's the, how we view compassion. But in the Greek, it literally means something from the stomach, something from the gut. It is the idea of, of, of something from the, from the deepest part of our being, tender mercy. Now, I think mercy is, is an important ingredient, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But compassion is at the very core of God's heart. See, compassion is not something that Jesus feels sorry for, but he does something about. When God was compassionate for the people of Israel, he just did not say, okay, I, I feel sorry for you guys. He was willing to do something about it. And that's why at the very heart of the gospel, this whole idea of compassion is that Jesus sacrifices himself for the sake of his people. That God's compassion was demonstrated by his death. The compassion is not something that is just like, okay, you know, let me think good things of you. Compassion was to do something about the physical needs. And one of the things that Jesus does in terms of demonstrating compassion is to teach them and to remind them of God's uh, mercy. And I think one of the things that, that I am reminded of in this story, and we see this throughout uh, the, the whole uh, scripture, of one of the sort of analogies of Jesus is that, the, is that he is described himself as a shepherd. And that one of the things that a shepherd does is, is to provide for the physical needs of the sheep. And I think for the gospel, especially in this day and age, we are, to call, we are called to provide uh, tender mercy, compassion, and physical needs of those around us. Because that's the way in which God has provided for us. We see in Philippians 4.19, and that God will meet all our needs according to his glorious riches. That as a great shepherd, he provides for our needs, both emotionally spiritually, and even physically. I think as, as pastors, uh, sometimes, you know, we often preach on, on the spiritual uh, aspect. And, and, and maybe not enough on the physical side. But I think for many of us, we recognize the compassion of God is, is connected, interconnected to doing things for others. And so as Christians, I think we are to be marked by people of compassion, not just by in what we say, but also in what we do. You know, with COVID-19, I think one of the things that has helped us kind of reshape the church is that oftentimes we think of church as a place in which we come, as a place in which we hear a message and we sing a song. And that's an aspect of what the church does when they're gathered. But we also recognize that's not, not what the church is. The church is the people of God, the hands of God, 
who are extending mercy to others. And when we extend mercy, we show people the true nature, the true character of who God is. You know, I think there is a difference, isn't there, between sort of the world's understanding of compassion. Here's the, here's the danger sometimes, I think. When we use the same word in the world, everybody has a different definition. And so when we talk about the compassion of God, what do we mean by that? Well, here's where our compassion is founded upon. It's founded upon the nature and the character of God. Somebody uh, gave me an interesting uh, study that even Muslims have a different definition of compassion than Christians because the foundation of the word is different. In 2008, uh, Christianity Today um, uh, uh, magazine el- el- uh, editor named uh, David Neff attended Loving God and Neighbor Together Dialogue, and they were with uh, Muslim leaders and with Christian leaders. It was held at Yale University. While there, they noticed some critical differences between Christian and Muslim understanding of love, compassion, and mercy. And he writes this, and it's an interesting understanding, the difference between Christian understanding of compassion between the Muslim understanding of compassion. The Christian participants had been taught by Jesus that love should be indiscriminate, just as mercy shown by the Good Samaritan was conditioned other than, just nothing other than the man's uh, need. That they may uh, be, it, it doesn't really matter how they have behaved, that you are to demonstrate compassion to those who are in need. When the Muslims heard that definition of compassion, they actually disagreed. The Muslims' participants were startled as Christians were talking about their limits the religion brought on their compassion. They said this, that orphans and widows and others in need uh, through no fault of their own uh, deserve compassion, they said. But then the Islamic ethics said this, There was no obligation to help people whose drunkenness or gambling or otherwise unwise behavior put them in their difficulty. In other words, when you reflect on that, that really if you put yourself in that mess, you don't deserve compassion. But the idea of Jesus and the idea of the gospel is that all of us deserve compassion because why? All of us come from the same state. All of us are in need of God. All of us are sinners. All of us are deserving of death. And as the editor of Christianity Today said this, reflecting on what I heard those Muslim leaders say, the tension was not between a generous God and a stingy God, but between mercy that was defined and conditioned by justice. In other words, the Muslim view is that mercy was defined and conditioned by their justice, where Christians' view was this, that justice was conditioned and defined by mercy. I think for us as Christians, we are to be the most justice-oriented people. Why? Because the foundation of our justice is the mercy of God. And so when you see somebody being beaten on television, when you see somebody who is hurting because of, of, of racism or other things that exist, we as Christians are the ones who are called out to speak out against that. Not just verbally, but to do something about it by acts of compassion. And if there's anything that the story reminds us is this, that God's compassion was always followed up by some action. I I love how the story continues as Jesus is 
is looking not only at the spiritual needs by teaching them, instructing them about the kingdom of God. He's also demonstrating to them the love of God and compassion, even though they may not have been deserving of compassion. And that's the thing that we as Christians have to understand, that we give compassion not because people deserve it, because everybody is undeserving of it. Think about your own spiritual life. How many are here because we deserve salvation? None of us are here because we deserve anything. On the opposite side, right? All of us, if there's anything we deserve, was condemnation and death. For the wages of sin is death. But Jesus reminded the disciples, instead of sending them away, bring them here, because God's mission was to provide compassion. And I believe that's our mission is that we are the ones to extend compassion. We are the arms and legs of, of, of Jesus in our culture. So if somebody's hurting, somebody's weeping, if somebody's hungry, we as the gospel-oriented people are the ones who are to extend help to others. I was meeting with a friend this week, and he uh, was one of the campus pastors uh, at Saddleback. And uh, the first time meeting in, in about four months, and we met outside socially distanced. We had our mask initially. We're having uh, two hamburgers together. And, and, and he said to me, he goes, you know what the greatest impact of the gospel was so far in the last four months? He said it wasn't the video, it wasn't the sermon, it wasn't the, all these other things. And they do a great job of doing that at Saddleback. But he says the greatest thing that we've been able to do was to feed all these people. And they would, they would host these uh, mercy trucks. And, and people would come and, and they would... Uh, uh, the church literally became the visible way in, to represent generosity. And all these people from their church, he said, I, I forgot how many people, 500 people came to trust Christ as they had these trucks as they're distributing food. There's a hunger for demonstrated compassion. And I think that's the first thing that we see here. But there's a second part here that's important. Not only does Jesus call us to uh, be compassionate. But the second thing he calls us is to be courageous. And I think courage is, is an important trait here. And he calls us to be courageous by willing to step out in faith. Notice what he says here in verse 22. Uh, so after he feeds the 5,000, there's leftovers. And I love that imagery, that God always gives more than, than we need. Uh, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dis, uh, dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. And when, when the boat was already um, a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, and during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Isn't this, the go isn't this a ghost, they said? And immediately they cried out in fear. And then Jesus immediately said this. And notice what Jesus said. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. I think that that's an important lesson for all of us, isn't it? Because I think all of us fear something, right? All of us fear, uh, and especially in the midst of this pandemic, some of us are fearing for our lives or fearing that we might infect others. And fear can be so overwhelming that oftentimes it could even paralyze us. And I think in this story, you know, what they witnessed on one hand was this incredible miracle of Jesus providing uh, 
food for those who are hungry. And then on the other hand, now they're tired, they're exhausted, and they're going on the boat. And Jesus is now teaching them some important lesson that we need to trust Christ when we are scared. Now, I think courage is one of those traits that are, are often uh, lacking. Uh, because, you know, for us, courageous it doesn't mean that, that we can't be fearful. The idea of courage is to live out our faith in the midst of our fear. And that's courage. See, here Jesus is, is, is telling the disciples, and by the way, courage here is also action-oriented. In other words, when Jesus calls them to be courageous, he's not just talking about something emotional. He's actually telling them to do something about their courage. And notice what he's telling them to do. He's telling them to come out of the boat. I, I love this idea here in uh, verse 28. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to the water. And I love Jesus' response. Come. Join me in the water. And I think about it from a human perspective. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's a storm. The waves are, are high. The boat is going back and forth. They're fearful for their, for their lives. But, but Peter recognizes something. And no matter how bad the storms of life may be, that if you fix your eyes on Jesus and trust in his goodness and you trust in his provision, that you can be courageous. And I think for, for many of us, uh, and myself included, I, was, I grew up with this fear of, of darkness. Uh, some of us have other fears, don't we? And, and it's sometimes what happens is that when you focus on the fear, that fear grows. And fear becomes the thing that we obsess about. And so anxiety sets in. And so Jesus says, if you come, focus your eyes upon him. Now, I like this in verse 30, because here's the switch. Peter gets out of the boat, verse 29, and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. It's the only other time in the Bible, it's the only other that a man was able to sort of transcend natural law to actually do what Jesus told him to do. And so see, this man is now, Peter is actually walking on the water. He's keeping his eyes on Jesus, and he's walking. But then, I like what verse 30 says. It's the transitional verse that reminds us the temptation that we have. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Isn't that a great analogy of life? You know, we look at uh, what's happening in our culture, and, and I think all of us are scared at the uncertainty of what's to happen. Some of us are not afraid of the, the, you know, the virus. Some of us are thinking, well, if we get sick, we get sick. But there are serious consequences and ramifications of what's going on. Economics, or even in terms of, 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 of our culture, of politics, of riots, all these things are, are causing us to be fearful. And I believe that's the wind of our age, is, is the greatest temptation for us as Christians as we're in this storm, is to take our eyes off of Jesus. Our greatest temptation is to start focusing on the severity of the wind and begin to lose focus of who Jesus is. When Jesus calls us out of the boat, he's calling us to trust him, to keep our eyes focused on him. I see myself 
spiritually, becoming discouraged. We're locked up in our homes, and maybe, you know, this family worship was great for the first few weeks, and, and there's a fear that sets in. And, and as we look at the waves and wind, and we begin to say, okay, oh, no, what do we do? Jesus calls out to step out in faith, and I don't know what that's going to look for you. Part of the question people have asked is, why are we opening up when, when this uh, virus is still active? Well, we want a safe we want to be a safe place, and we have protocols in place, and you'll see a video this week that's going to outline all that. But we also believe that this is part of the courage that we need to have in, in moving us forward, little by little. And I want to encourage you guys, and it may not be coming to church on Sunday, but it may be something else in your life. But don't let fear paralyze your faith. Don't let fear take your eyes off of Jesus to focus on anything else. Because once we're reminded that God is with us, and notice what he says. You know, we criticize Peter because he took his off. When he saw the wind and was afraid and began to cry out, Lord, save me. I, I like his response, and oftentimes we forget this. When he took his eyes off of, 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 of Jesus and focused on the wind, he still knew who the Savior was. He says, Lord, save me. I love that response. And I think for those of us who are scared, that's probably the greatest prayer that we could ask. Lord, save me. I, have, I don't understand anything that's going on, but Lord, save me. And I like what happens here. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Even though in that rebuke, Jesus is still reminding him that he's still there. And I think the reason that we can be courageous is because we're never alone. You know, there's something about knowing that God's presence is ever-present that gives us courage to do things. Whether it's to step out in faith and share the gospel with your coworker, or to step out in faith and, and go on a summer mission trip, or go step out in, in faith and build a relationship with a, a neighbor's kids so that they can hear the gospel. Whatever that step of courage that you have, as long as you remember that Christ is there with you, then you can step out. Many years ago, there was a story told of, of Jackie Robinson, who was the first... African-American to break into Major League Baseball. And he played for, for our Dodgers. And, and the story is that when Jackie Robinson, uh, being the first uh, black athlete to go into the majors, he was uh, yelled at and, and, and cursed and, and jeered at. He played second base for the Dodgers. And in one particular scene, as the ground ball came, he, it went through his legs. And people were just calling him the, the worst racial uh, 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 words that you could ever call on somebody. And Robinson's biography, he mentions that moment, that that was the time he was going to give up on baseball. He had all this opposition. There's a shortstop named Pee Wee Reese. And when he heard all the crowds yelling at him, cussing at him, and, and, and throwing all these racial slang toward him, you know what Pee Wee Reese did? He walked over and placed his arms around his friend Jackie Robinson. And everybody in the stadium quieted down. And Robinson remarks that that was the point that his career was saved. That he had an advocate. He had somebody who was willing to put his arms around him and say, it's okay, be courageous. 
And for us as Christians, that's Jesus. That we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be dominated by fear. One of the things that Jesus reminds the disciples over and over again is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Over and again throughout the Bible. Because our tendency is to take our eyes off of God. Take our eyes off the gospel. Take our eyes off. And the substitute for that becomes fear. At the beginning of, this, uh, of my message, I shared the story about uh, Eeyore floating along the river. Let me tell you a, another true story. One summer morning, uh, Ray Blankenship was preparing his breakfast as he gazed out his window. And it, it was uh, the day after a major storm. And he was living uh, near uh, sort of a, a ditch, uh, a river in which there was overflow. And as he was Making breakfast, he looked outside, and he saw or he heard a voice, a faint voice of a little girl screaming. And as he looked down the river, actually flowing down near him, he saw a girl who had fallen in, and she was trying to swim for help. And she was floundering, and, and, and she was being churned by the, by the, by the, by the sort of the rapid waves. So Blankenships was able to run down. And as he was chasing her down, he was trying to grab anything to grab this little girl's arm. And, 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 and he, he, at one point, he was able to grab something, but the tremendous force tore the child away. He realized that there was only one thing he could do. Rather than just call for help or call 911, he had to do something. He had to be courageous. He had to dive in. And so he dove in, and he was able to grab the girl's arm and take her to the bank of the river, and he rescued this little girl. April 12, 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Life Saving Medal. It was an award fitting for a man who was selfless, who was risking his life for the sake of somebody else. Now, what makes this story that much more courageous was that Ray Blankenship never knew how to swim. Now you think about that. A man who was so courageous, was willing to give up his life, even though he didn't know how to swim. Miraculously, he jumped in the water, grabbed a little girl. And I think to myself, that's what Jesus calls us to do in our culture. To demonstrate compassion, but to also exhibit courage. I want to encourage you to think about that. Because those are the, the twin values in which God calls us to display our, our faith to the world around us. How is your compassion? And how is your courage? Let this COVID-19 not drive us deeper into our fears, but rather drive us deeper into a greater sense of compassion and a greater sense of courage.